Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters. Uh, thank you. This is, uh, this is actually the first time I've had the opportunity to be here before you like this. And uh, I've been given the onerous task of trying to weave a bylaw discussion into a meaningful worship experience for you. Um, frankly, I think probably kind of impossible, but fortunately for us, we have a God who is the God of the impossible. And... Uh, Nothing is impossible with him. So let's, let's invoke his blessing on our time and, and we'll get into it then. Uh, bow with me. Uh, Lord, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are the sovereign God in all things. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your many blessings. We ask your blessing on our time today together and uh, we pray that you will be honored with it and that we'll leave here blessed by it and uh, we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so... Uh, we wanted to talk, uh, this is part two of a discussion about elders and shepherding. Uh, part of this is going to be in, in terms of, of, a, of the bylaws, in particular major things that will be changing. Um, but the key is to understand is all part of, it's linked to what Matt was discussing last week when he was giving you the biblical basis for all this stuff that we're talking about. The things that we're trying to implement in these bylaw changes are all rooted in that scriptural basis that Matt explained last week. So what we're going to do is, uh, this is the outline for today's presentation, uh, today's message, and I want to start with a review of what Matt did last week, just to refresh that in your memory, and for those of you who weren't here, at least you will have uh, some exposure to those principles. Then we'll get into some of the uh, uh, structural, uh, organizational, philosophical changes that you'll see in the bylaws. By the way, copies of that will be available at the connection desk afterward, and uh, also we'll be getting that stuff uh, posted on the website for you. But we'll walk through some of the changes that you can expect to see there, and then we'll wrap up with a, a discussion of the transition period. If you uh, vote the new bylaws into place on the 17th, then, then what, right? Where do we go from here? And, and then actually after that we'll have a little time of interaction, question and answer, um, hopefully, and get it all done in the, by quarter after. All right, so for, by way of review, um, you remember Matt was talking about the, the theme of the whole business is this ministry of shepherding. The whole point of doing any of this is to make more effective pastoral care happen in, in the body here. And, and he used the uh, key scripture, 1 Peter 5, if you haven't been there lately, I, I, uh, I, I would suggest you go there and read through 1 Peter 5, critical to everything we understand about what we're trying to do here. Um, then he walked through a bunch of goals, five specific goals uh, for all of this. One is to be more biblical. It's not that the current polity structure is, is anti-biblical or, or abiblical per se, but we just think we can be more biblical, okay? And that's why we're going in this direction, or why we're recommending that we go in this direction. Uh, one of the key things is facilitating shepherding. Um, the, you recall that, the, the, that what Matt said was that two pastors can't take care of the pastoral needs of a congregation of this size. Not possible. So we want to build that up. We want to build the shepherding team. Uh, we also want to make roles more clear uh, in the, in the uh, structure with the council, as it currently exists, the council isn't really elders. It's not really deacons. It's a, kind of a little of both, not all of either. So it's, it's sort of a kind of a hybrid 
not quite really there according to the, the uh, scriptural guidelines. So we're trying to clarify some of that with the concept of, of elders and deacons. Uh, clarifying the role of women in the church and how they serve in our midst. And then ultimately, the whole business is to kind of create a culture of belonging and ownership, that you are engaged in the work of the ministry, that you feel a part of it in an ownership and, and doing the work of the, of the ministry as well. So he went on to say, uh, describing some terms that maybe you were not all that familiar with uh, up to this point. He talked about the, the, the term shepherd, the concept of shepherd, and how that was kind of equivalent to pastor, the whole concept of pastoring. He introduced elder, which is uh, essentially equivalent to overseer, you may see as well. In Titus 1, Paul kind of couples those two terms as, as essentially equivalent. Uh, he introduced the concept of a pastoral team of elders, and then he also brought in the idea of, of deacons, and he explained all that stuff for you. Uh, he discussed the high-level responsibilities of the offices of elder and deacon. Elders are to be governing, teaching, and praying primarily. That's the responsibilities of elders. And then deacons are supposed to be ministering, serving, and assisting. Uh, he also went through a, a list of qualifications for these offices. I'm not going to review it here because we're going to get into that in more detail in a little bit. But he, he reminded that the ultimate goal in this, as in everything we do, is that God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. And that's the key to understanding all of what we're trying to do. So uh, let's uh, look at um, the, the idea of governing authority in the body. So, there's, there was a, so this isn't even bylaws. This is actually in the Constitution section. And there was, a, there was a wor some wording in there that frankly... I've never been completely comfortable with. It said that the congregation was the ultimate governing authority in the church. All right, so if this were a purely human institution, I'd be okay with that, I think. But come on now, work with me. Who is the ultimate authority in this church? Okay, right? Yeah, that's that. exactly right. Do we have a dynamic, vital relationship with the risen Christ or not? And if we do, he is the head of the church. In fact, Paul uses those very terms, that image, Christ being the head of the church, in numerous places. Uh, Peter, in our key uh, section of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, calls him the chief shepherd so in reality, Christ is the authority in my life, in your life, and in the life of this body. And so I think there's a better way to state that, and, and you'll see that in the bylaws when you, when you pick those up. And so to think of this better, the way it operates really, is that Christ is the chief shepherd, and in the scriptural uh, principles, he provides for under-shepherds. Those are the elders. And again, back to 1 Peter he exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock. Well, Christ is the chief shepherd, chief shepherd, but the elders are his method of providing flesh and blood to make all that stuff happen. You remember that um, the primary way God accomplishes stuff in this sin-sick world is through his people. And in this particular case, the work of shepherding is the assignment of the elders in our midst. Okay? And the other way to think in the grander scheme of what the congregational involvement is, 
is to provide input and be involved providing checks and balances. And you have several that are already in the bylaws, and in fact, we're not really changing those parts of it. Uh, the, the annual budget approval, uh, Matt Duransky was particularly insistent that this is, a, this is a check and balance that the congregation should still have on an annual basis to, to approve the budget. That provides practical uh, monetary constraints on what kind of things we can and can't do around here. You approve the bylaws. The bylaws tell how we will do what we're doing around here. They provide boundaries for how we will operate. You approve the bylaws. You will still approve the bylaws the same way. You, have, you hold us accountable for character and performance. In the existing bylaws, there are mechanisms rooted in Matthew 18 and 1 Timothy 5 to hold us accountable. Those are not changing. You will continue to have uh, uh, those checks and balances. You'll have a new uh, role, I think a, an improved and enhanced role, in the appointment process of elders and deacons. And through all of this, you will be very much dynamically engaged in, in the whole business around here. So let's take a look at it. Uh, the new organizational philosophy, uh, what you would see is that we're expanding the shepherding team so that it's no longer on the shoulders of just two individuals, two two paid pastoral staff members. Um, and then you'll see beyond all of that is that there's enhanced communication opportunities as well. Um, as, the, as the expanded shepherding team, the pastoral team is available to you, there'll be enhanced communication. You'll have greater accessibility. Uh, and, and in everything, I think, the entire business should work uh, much more efficiently and much better. Um, from a organization... Um, Actually, this is, I have a copy and paste error here. The title, this section is actually organizational structure, but that's okay, you'll understand. The next few sides, slides are actually more about structure than philosophy. But one of the things, the first thing you'll notice in section three is where, of article one in the bylaws, is where there's been a massive rewrite, really. And the council, as you've known it, would be disbanded, along with the specific offices that comprise the core of that council. In its place, you'll find two new generic offices, this, this office of elders, comprised of both vocational and non-vocational elders. The vocational ones are the ones who carry the title pastor. That's familiar to you, and we're retaining that, that uh, verbiage, that terminology. And then this other office of deacons. Um, <clears throat> the new governing body, basically in place of what the council has been doing, will be this pastoral team consisting of the elders. And in that pastoral team, the, the, uh, the elders will appoint from among themselves, among the non-vocational elders, a president, secretary, and treasurer to be kind of like um, officers of the pastoral team. Um, uh, Pastor Walker was particularly insistent that those offices uh, should be from the non-vocational elders as another layer of, of say, check and, checks and balances even within the pastoral team. Uh, the one who is assigned the role of president will be the chair for pastoral team meetings and the congregational meetings. That, that latter provision is sort of similar to you. The, the uh, chairman of the congregation is what, what you have understood that to be from the council members. Uh, this person will perform that same basic role in that regard. Um, and then, of course, the, the uh, ministry leadership that the elders are providing 
is going to be supported by the deacons. The deacons are going to be that group of people that help um, with the, the actual mechanics of making the ministry work around here. Uh, they'll be very critical to that whole operation. Now, a couple of things to point out to you because the, the bylaws are, are silent on it. Uh, there are no numerical limits for either elders or deacons. Uh, there's no term limits in the bylaws for either of those offices, primarily because the scripture doesn't explain any kind of limits in those regards for those offices. We will add elders and deacons as, the, as qualified candidates are available and as the ministry demands require. So it, it's, it's much more fluid that way in terms of meeting ministry demand. Also note that we used to have specific ministry lead positions uh, embodied in the bylaws, and we've removed all of that as well. Not that we don't need those positions. In fact, we do very much. Um, and, in, and in fact, we suspect that for the most part, a lot of those positions will be similar going forward. In fact, we already have a draft list of such positions, and we think uh, it, it looks very similar to what we have because we've already identified those as, as important ministry areas that need leadership around here. The key is to understand that it's not a matter of bylaws, right? By not specifying them explicitly in bylaws, we don't have to come back to you uh, every time we want to install a new deacon in some new uh, leadership position or something. We can just make that happen so we can efficiently and effectively get to the work of the ministry. Uh, one thing to point out too, the, the uh, Grace Christian Academy School Board Chairman uh, has been a, uh, uh, what we call an ex-officio member of the council. Uh, that person will continue to play a, a key role in all this and will be a deacon from uh, Grace Church Waldorf. And that preserves that, essentially that same tie that we've had in the past. Now for the appointment process. Um, excuse me for a second. Uh, this is where I mentioned earlier that you, uh, we at, together as the congregation are going to play a vital role here. Um, first of all, note that any member can recommend or nominate a candidate for either of these offices. It's, it's not some exclusive club. We don't need some special uh, committee or something. In fact, you can self-nominate. Uh, because the scripture says, if you desire the office of overseer, if you want to be an elder, that's a good thing, to, that's a noble task that you seek. Now, you want to be sure that you're being called to this. But if you are, come forward. Um, I'll tell you what, especially in January, if we, if we actually approve these bylaws and we're going to kick all this off, come January 1st, there's going to be a need for a bunch of deacons and, a, and a additional elders, in fact. And so we're going to run through this process uh, quite a bit in that first month, I imagine. Uh, so that'll be a great time. We know we have a need. Come forward with your recommendations. What will happen then is from those who are recommended, and by the way, the pastoral team will probably be seeking some of you out directly ourselves anyway, but if we have whatever names we have, we'll do some initial screening just to make sure uh, we're getting started in the right direction here. 
first of all, does the candidate actually feel called to this role? Is this something they desire to do? Uh, if they're married, we'll ask the spouse, hey, are you on board with this? Uh, because you need to understand, both of these offices are going to entail quite a high level of commitment here. Uh, which means time, which means energy, which means attention away from the family. The spouse needs to be on board uh, with, with this plan. Uh, and then we'll also do the screening based on the, the, the qualifications that we're going to talk about in a minute as well to see, like, based on just our experience, do we believe the candidate's qualified by the biblical standards? And if so, then we'll present them to the congregation. This, this is absolutely a critical role for you, uh, people, to understand how this works. You are a royal priesthood. You are believer priests. You have a dynamic relationship with Christ yourself. So we're going to ask you to take two weeks and consider the candidates that are presented to you and whether they meet the biblical qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Um, You really need to be serious about this. You need to be careful and prayerful about this. Let let me explain to you. Because uh, the pastoral team is a small group, you may know something about an individual candidate that would disqualify them that we don't know. If you don't come forward, the potential exists for having unqualified people in the offices, and that is a disaster waiting to happen. One of the easiest ways for this whole business to get undermined is to have the wrong people in these leadership positions. And the guy who wrote the book that was the basis for a lot of our, uh, our, our study uh, leading up to this, he said, it's actually better to have no elders than to have the wrong elders. Let me tell you something else. Um, I've been submitted as one of the ones who would be one of these elders before you. Well, guess what? I don't want nor dare I accept the responsibility and accountability that goes with that job if I am not qualified. All right, so I understand, too, that I I know where... You remember a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Walker was talking about, you know, the heart and some of those dark places that aren't fully sanctified yet. I'm all too aware of those in my own heart. I'm also aware that I might have blind spots where I don't even know, I don't even realize... Uh, where I'm, I'm really falling short. Don't leave me hanging out there. Don't let me waltz into that job when I'm not qualified. If you think I'm not, if I'm not stacking up, do me a favor, come forward and say something if you think there's a flaw somewhere that I need to work on. And I think I can talk for any of the, the candidates for this office in the same way. Uh, you have that vital role to protect us and to protect the integrity of the leadership and to protect this body by coming forward. In this regard, frankly, I think you're in a stronger position than you are under the current polity. All right, so think about it. For those of you who've been around here for a little while, I've been, I've been to probably 20 or so annual congregational business meetings. In all that time, now maybe I'm just having a senior moment, I forget, but in in 20-some years, I don't think I've ever seen a candidate for counsel not affirmed. 
I think every single candidate that's ever been put forward in 20 years has been affirmed by the congregation and gone forward. Now, I don't know how you voted. If you ever voted against any of those candidates, your vote was completely swallowed up and overwhelmed by the affirmative vote of everybody else. In this case, any one of you can come forward with, with credible, uh, defendable concerns and create a, a, a situation where we have to do further investigation. Uh, so here's what happens. If, oh, okay, hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I want to talk about the qualifications first, and then I'll get back to the, the next point I was trying to make, because these are the qualifications that matter. Remember, this is what Matt was talking about last week. And uh, from Titus, uh, above reproach is sort of like an overarching character trait, but then you saw all these other uh, traits that need to be true of the, of the elder candidate. These are the things that you're stacking them up against. It doesn't matter if you don't like them. You, you might not like me, for example, but that doesn't matter. Do I stack up? It's not a popularity contest here, right? Do, do I meet these criteria? And that's the question for you to answer. Uh, similarly, in 1 Timothy, uh, you have the elders' uh, qualifications, the deacons are, uh, in fact, there's a large section of overlap. Deacons, likewise, need to be proved blameless, similar to being above reproach, the overarching criteria. A little, an interesting point on the new convert thing, uh, we definitely don't want to put in uh, positions of leadership people who are new to the faith. Uh, frankly, we're going to think that, we're going to expand that concept a little bit and say we're probably going to ask for at least a year waiting period for any new person to us at the local body. I don't care if they've been saved for a hundred years. You need to know these people before we install them in office so that you can feel comfortable that, that these people are in fact qualified. Because just being in the faith for a long time doesn't necessarily mean you're qualified. All right? Okay. Um, couple of points of amplification because we, uh, most of those criteria are very clear. Uh, they're they're uh, questions of character, but some of the uh, provisions are a little bit harder to understand, and so we wrestled with this. This is one of the ones that, uh, like Matt was talking about, we talk about for a while and we couldn't come to agreement, so we go away and pray and study and think more, come back together. We finally, as pertains to the provision of a husband of one wife, um, understanding that a, a proper understanding of that is, is that talking about a one-woman man, a manner of attitude and, and deportment of faithfulness. Uh, we came up with this statement, kind of describing how we interpret husband of one wife when we're considering it as a, as a qualification for the office of, of elder or, in fact, deacon. The key is that... Uh, we typically wouldn't, as a, as a normal mode, be including those who were previously divorced. But they're not automatically disqualified because of the scriptural provisions in Matthew 5, 1 Corinthians 7. We have to take all of this stuff. Grace is operative in all of these things. What has been, over the course of time, this person's deportment in this regard? So be careful. Uh, this, is, this may be helpful to you 
in trying to, to wrestle through these things yourself. And uh, it, it's important to understand that there is grace and there is room for repentance. And uh, wh- where would any of us be if that were not true, right? Okay, another one that was a little bit tough is uh, the, the provision that their children are believers. Now, the, when we consider the entire Council of Scripture, our understanding, our doctrine, un, doctrinal understanding says that I can't make anybody believe in Christ, including my children. That is an individual's decision between them and their God. So what does this mean then? Um, well, what, the way we kind of, of looked at it is uh, another way to interpret that is that their children are faithful, which may be subtle and nuanced, but if you compare to the equivalent type wording in First Timothy, um, the, the kind of the idea was that the children should be evidence that the father... Or, or in the case of a, of a deacon, the, the mother as well, they're managing their household well. That the children are at least conducting themselves reasonably. They're not in open rebellion. They're not a distraction. They're not creating a problem in the church or in the community. And if they are, then maybe their parents need to take more time focused on their nuclear family and get those things sorted out. So that's the way we, we want, to, want to try and view it from, from our perspective. Not that we're demanding that we know absolutely that their children are in fact walking with the Lord. But they're at least uh, under control. Okay. Okay. Back to the appointment process. What I was talking about earlier. As you're considering all those qualifications... If we get to uh, the path where nobody has raised an objection, we all agree that yes, this person seems to be qualified, then we'll bring them back, uh, we'll appoint them to the office, they'll be presented to the congregation and introduced, hey, here's, here's your new elder, here's your new deacon, and then we'll begin a training process. Uh, there's uh, some extensive study work that we have been doing in an elder workbook by that same author, Strock. He's made one for deacons as well. Uh, we'll be walking them through that as a period of uh, more intensified self-exploration, understanding strengths and weaknesses and, uh, and where you fit into the, to the whole picture, um, and even understanding the role more thoroughly and understanding, do you really want that role? Um, it's, it's a big job. It's a lot of responsibility, and uh, you enter into it uh, with, with caution if you're wise. In the event that the candidate was shown to be unqualified for whatever reason, depending on what the disqualifying factor was, um, we could either withdraw the, the uh, candidate entirely or simply defer for some period of time. Like maybe there's a, some part of the character uh, traits that they're not quite stacking up with. Uh, so we need to assign maybe a, uh, a mentor, an accountability partner, and have a period of time where they're focusing on refining that part of their character. And then we'll bring them back maybe at a later date and go through it again. Hey, are they, are they stacking up? 
In any event, uh, this is the basic process, and you'll note that it's aperiodic. As opposed to the uh, uh, voting for the council members, that was on, on an annual basis. Uh, this is as the need dictates. And like I said, expect that in January, the need will dictate quite a bit as we are trying to ramp up. Uh, another thing to just point out is, oh, by the way, we didn't change anything about the calling of a senior pastor. The primary pastor teacher, the guy that's up front for you most of the time, uh, that process, we didn't have an idea for a better one. We didn't need to change it to bring alongside the additional pastoral team to help him out. So we didn't change that part of it. That's the same. You'll see some of the specific pastoral duties uh, uh, the, of, the, of this pastoral team. These are all listed in the bylaws. These will appear all in there to remind us of what we're supposed to be doing. By the way, this is what we're asking you to hold us accountable for. Make sure we're doing all these things. Uh, one of the main things is praying and caring for the needs of the church. That's all part of the concept of, of shepherding. Uh, several more here. Equipping the membership of the church. It's equipping you, helping you to be maximally effective. God has left you here for a reason. If, if, if you were not here, he'd be done with you. You're here, he's not done with you. You have things to do in the, in the ministry, in the work of the ministry. And this process is supposedly helping you do that more effectively. Okay, and then the last set, likewise here, uh, communicating regularly with you, uh, preparing the annual budget, as we mentioned before, all these things. You'll find that all of these, either directly or maybe somewhat indirectly in some cases, tie back to those overarching responsibilities that Matt introduced last week of governing, teaching, and praying. All right, so let's talk quickly. Yeah, I'm running way out of time. Okay. Quickly then, transition. Uh, one of the first things we wanted to do for the sake of continuity of operations, we've asked some of the existing council members, would you be willing to continue with us and do the things you're already doing for some indefinite period up to maybe a year or so? Again, a year or so. Expect a whole lot of stuff to happen in January, but to get to a new steady state might take a little longer. Uh, specifically, we wanted the finance, the missions, and the property leaders to continue. Uh, that's uh, Dave Bennett and Rick Rogers and Ken uh, Barker uh, also to continue doing what they're doing while we're in the process of appointing deacons. Uh, deacons are going to do these kinds of jobs in the, in the future. And in fact, maybe those guys will want to uh, sign up and continue on. Maybe they'll uh, put their names forward to, to if they want to continue to do that job. But at least in the, in the near term, they're going to carry on for us to help us in the transition. We'll appoint additional elders. We said two, two pastors can't do the job of shepherding. Neither can six elders. It's still too big of a job. We're going to need more. So we'll be expanding uh, that as well. Uh, we'll be uh, planning for ministry updates based on the results of the reveal survey. Matt's spending hours pouring through all of that, and, uh, and so we're going to incorporate, incorporate that in our planning going forward. Um, we're going to try and make sure our membership role is up to date because we want to, as we're expanding the pastoral care, we're going to start out with existing affinities, right? Uh, we all know some of you already, and it makes sense to go ahead and start there, uh, but 
we want to know what members are not covered by existing affinity. What, what, what members do we need to reach out to? And then further beyond that, if you're not a member, that's okay. If you're still around here, we want to be engaged with you as well. So we'll continue to expand the shepherding and pastoral care uh, to, until we get the entire body covered that's uh, fellowshipping with us regularly. Remember, um, what we're about, the whole point of all of this, is that we're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, building up the body of Christ. That is what we're trying to accomplish by expanding this uh, pastoral team, the shepherding team, so that you, the saints, will be built up and more effective in the work of the ministry. Um, and with that, we, we've, we've left... Uh, maybe not quite 15 minutes for questions. By the way, if we don't get to your question today and you, you still, or you think of something later that you wanted to ask that didn't occur to you right now, go ahead and send your, uh, your questions to, to dennis.fay at gracewaldorf.org. Dennis will collect all that for us and, uh, and we'll proceed to, to get back to you with answers on that. And we'll, we'll try and have answers prepared also uh, at the congregational meeting on the 17th so that every